to the reading of the passage, and I will go ahead and read it for you from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 16. So let's turn to it in our continuation of the exposition of the book of Ephesians, a very essential and a very classic study of the church. If you want to study the church, this is where you go to, this book. There are other places, but this one in particular. And it's because of what we have especially found in this chapter 4. So let me read, and so hear with faith the word. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. I'll stop there. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that indeed you would feed us your word, that you would give us clarity in our thoughts, that you would give us affection in our hearts, that you would give us purpose and verve in our will to do your will and to work that which is well-pleasing in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, we pray. Amen. This is a continuation from two weeks ago. So there's a little bit of review. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He did so by his dying for her sins, by rising from the dead and ascending back to his glory in heaven. And why? As we read, that he might fill all things. In other words, he will fill up what is lacking in this world. He will fill up that which sin has robbed mankind with. 
He will provide righteousness, true righteousness, by which we will be reckoned righteous in Christ unto God and thus be accepted for Jesus' sake into the family of God, into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this way, the world, i.e. the church that's in the world that is representative of him, will become a truly sound and complete kingdom and will be a place in which souls will run to to find refuge. And he does this by saving sinners from their captivity to sin and to Satan and placing them in his church himself, the called out ones, which is what the word church means, ecclesia. And this is what he, he meant, what, that is the apostle Paul meant when he said he descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He went to this earth, which is getting away from heaven, is always going down, always going down. And especially when he went to the cross, and in our Heidelberg Catechism, it is, it is asked, why is it added he descended into hell? In the Apostles' Creed, where it says he descended into, the, into hell. And the answer, that in my greatest temptations, I may be assured that Christ my Lord by his inexpressible anguish, pains, and terrors, which he suffered in his soul on the cross and before, has redeemed me from the anguish and torment of hell. In a way, he endured our hell for us in those hours that he went to the cross up to the time of his burial and then his resurrection from the dead. It says then, he ascended up far above all heavens, which is where the third heaven is, whatever that is. It says all heavens, I assume that's where the presence of the Father is. Where his throne is that he, he left and the glory with it in order to condescend to men of low estate, even ourselves. So he is there at the right hand of his Father, our Father, and his God, our God. From where he blesses his church, starting out with gifts, as we talked about earlier, or last time, of apostles and prophets and evangelists. Gifts which no longer continue to the church because we, we have uh, the, the essence of, of, of their ministry contained in the, in the very scriptures themselves. So there's no more adding of revelation. This is it. This is all commenting on the work of the very Son of God. And the only thing left is his return from his glory. And so the apostles and the prophets help to form the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone through which, again, we obtain the inscripturated word. The evangelists spoken about are like Paul and Barnabas and Silas and uh, Timotheus and Luke who are used to take the gospel worldwide because Christ's goal is to make a worldwide church. And so through their efforts, the word went viral without even modern technology availing them. And this is how Christ is building his church. It is called the Great Commission. He said prior to his leaving, and this gospel of the kingdom, which shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So this is to go on until he returns. And that is where we ended last time. 
So next, what else did and does Jesus give his church? Besides the apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers, it says in verse 11. These are, I believe, ordained officers or offices and officers, pastors and the elders and the deacons. For the most part, there may be some churches that send out evangelists to this day, uh, missionaries, and, and yes, they are ordained in, in most cases, if not all. Teachers are, are, are actually, uh, that is some pastors and teachers. Teachers can be the pastors, as the Lord says to the pastors, beginning with Peter, feed my flock, feed my lambs, and feed my sheep. But also, there are two elders, teachers uh, also in the church, as uh, um, our elders have been apt to teach, as the Bible says. They have that, that ability and that desire to be able to fill in in, uh, in, in exhorting the brethren uh, in my absence, for example, and in teaching Sunday school and in other uh, Bible study uh, scenarios. And so they are to do that. Uh, and in 1 Peter 1, 5, 1 through 3, we have a very important and, and very illuminating description of the role of teachers in the elders. And elders, by the way, can be the main teaching elder, i.e. the pastor or minister, or ruling elders. They both are elders. Like Peter, who was also an apostle, was also a pastor and an elder. At least he says that here. He writes in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, there you go, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. That's what makes him an apostle. And also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, that's money, but of a ready mind. Meaning, you're not doing it for any other reason than your love of Christ and your love of his flock. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And then four, I should add, and when the chief shepherd, notice Christ, the chief shepherd, the chief pastor, shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So there you go. Elders, pastors and ruling elders, and deacons. Let me give you an example of deacons who also were apt to teach. In Acts 6, 8, Acts 6, 8, wonderful example of the first deacons doing something that was not in their job description, if I may say so. Uh, they, they parallel the priests of Israel, the priests who minister uh, physically, who, who look out for the needs of the congregation and who uh, meet their needs in various ways, such as, for example, in their sickness, they would, would come up with some type of a, uh, cure and and then of course it was important for them upon their being uh, people being healed to come to them to authenticate their healing so that they can go back into the community like the lepers that were unable to uh, uh, be in the community because of their leprosy which is contagious which is deadly and so uh, they, they had that ministerial role and, and elders are like the kings 
have the priests, the kings, and also the prophets, the teachers, and that would be like the pastors. So as a quick overview of uh, the uh, three offices of the mediatorship of Christ. So here in uh, Acts 6, 8, it says, And Stephen, who was one of the deacons, I talked about earlier, in verse, sorry about that, folks, let me turn to Together. So uh, Acts 6, verse 5 speaks about Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and I'll just focus on those two since those are the ones that are most talked about in following. And so in verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You know, that got their attention. But those were not an end in themselves, those uh, wonder-working powers that they were entrusted with by the living Christ. But those were a means to an end in order to authenticate that the word that was coming through their mouths, the preaching of the kingdom of God, was indeed from God and not from men. And then verse 10, And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. See, he preached word of God. It's just a deacon. Just a deacon. <laughs> a gift from heaven is a deacon. And here's an example of one who, who did something in addition to all of his many other myriad tasks, like attending to the Grecian widows. And then after Stephen was executed, and I think you know of that story, you could read more about it in the, in the, in the rest of this chapter, and, and especially in 7, we have in, in chapter 8, verse 5, Philip, the other deacon. 8, verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. When none of the apostles were going out there yet, and they would, led by the apostle Paul, as I mentioned earlier, the deacons were out there already doing the work. They weren't even tasked to do it. They just went out like itinerant preachers, like missionaries that go all over the world uh, and, 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 and give their lives for the gospel. Like Hudson Taylor gave his life to the people of China and others. It says he then went to the Ethiopian eunuch. And what did he do? And I'm not reading the whole passage. You can read it for yourself. I did a study of this recently. And in verse 35 of Acts 8, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth. Now, why do you think he opened his mouth? To have small talk, to chit-chat, to just kind of while away the day and, 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 and fellowship? No. He opened his mouth and began at the same scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was pouring over and not understanding because the Spirit of God was, was gripping his mind and gripping his heart, but he didn't understand. The puzzle pieces were not falling into place yet. God would use this man, Philip, in his life to open his eyes that he may behold Jesus in all his glory. For what does it go on to say? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him, Jesus! Simple. 
If you have a difficult time talking to people about the Lord, just remember that one word, that name above all names, that name before every knee will one day bow, that name that every tongue will confess one day, that He is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's all you have to say. And you will turn heads, I tell you. And then you'll go from there. And if you don't have what it takes to uh, get the ball rolling, you know what? You're going to go back to the drawing room. You'll go back to the study room. And you're going to be studying it because you're, you're going to be realizing, you know what? They're depending on me. That person or those people or that neighbor or that classmate or that coworker is, is looking for an answer. And I'm it. I'm, I'm the one that is going to provide it. And I have the scriptures. And I have the Holy Spirit. And I can do it. Because through Christ, I can do all things. See how that works? Very practical. God is very practical. He, he doesn't have, have us go through a school of theology to be prepared for the, for the ministry. We have some men in our denomination who, who are schooled in the school of hard knocks, like the Tennant brothers. Uh, William Tennant had four sons, and he taught them all in his log cabin. He made a log cabin in the back of his house and he taught them and that was a place where many others came to study the scriptures. And that eventually became the foundation for, I believe it was Harvard down the road. Don't, don't quote me on that one. <laughs> but let me say it doesn't take much. It just takes faithful men teaching other faithful men to be faithful to the word of God. And that's what it's about. And that's what I'm trying to do here with yourselves as well. And so now we come to, for what purpose are these ordained officers? And we have three purposes, and they're found in verse 12. So back again to Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and especially note those last two, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, and those dovetail into each other. Uh, the first one is like a funnel, and then it encompasses the second, and then finally the third. And they, they are uh, building on one another. And so the first building block, as it were, for the perfecting of the saints. And the word there means to complement or supplement or to complete. And so the roles of these who are your pastor and elders and or elder and deacon, and we don't have any active deacon at this point, but hopefully through prayer we will, uh, is for this purpose to supplement what is lacking in your lives and to help to fill you out as a believer in Christ. Jesus said, as I indicated already to Peter, feed my lambs and feed my sheep, he said, even the last twice over, through preaching, through teaching, confirmation or catechumen class, membership, Sunday school, Bible study, elders visitation to follow up the word in the home, discipling, making disciples of others so that they might join the kingdom of God and be part and member of Christ's church. So all of these are part of feeding. 
says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, in another scripture, the purpose from another tact or angle. And so in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, very vital, correction, to correct our wrong thoughts or our false ideas, and for instruction in righteousness. It's like a manual for living the Christian life, the Bible is. And that's why it's given, and that's why we have it. That the man of God may be perfect, mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's not easy, especially when we come with all the baggage that we do, and especially when you knew, right? Remember when you were first introduced to the church? Huh. <laughs> I'm thinking back on myself. I'm not looking at you and thinking about any, necessarily any of you, but uh, I remember myself. The worldliness, woo. The ignorance, ah. As I mentioned, false thinking, or as Paul says here, winds of dark doctrine. You know, when some come into the church, they bring with them a wind of doctrine that you never, never heard before. But thankfully, it's a wind of doctrine, so eventually the Holy Spirit, because he's a wind too, a sovereign wind. <laughs> um, pride, slowness of hearing, and especially being slow of foot to implement what we know the Bible to teach, because... The man who hears Jesus' words and does them is like the man that builds his house on the rock. And the winds descended and the floods came and blew and hit that house and it stood firm. Why? Because it was built on the rock of the word and Christ Jesus. And the list goes on. But the question I would ask you this is, are you teachable? If you are teachable, there's hope. If not, well, I'll keep praying for you that you will be eventually. And you can, you can, you can, you can keep coming, and, and that's indeed what we hope. But you need to pray too, that God would make you teachable in your heart, because it's for the Lord. And for also the benefit of your soul. So that's important to start with. But that requires that the pastor and elders and even deacons <clears throat> need to teach the believers with patience, with understanding, and with endurance. And also one more thing, according to our passage in, in Ephesians 4, verse 15, our memory verse for next week, with love. But speaking the truth in love, may it grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. And that's not always easy. And especially when you have to reprove, correct, like I read earlier, right? Oh, that's very difficult. I mean, it's difficult for the one who's going to receive it or not receive it, depending upon how he takes it. But it's even difficult for the one giving it. But one thing for sure, and that is faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And secondly, from Ephesians 4, 12, again. For the work of the ministry, 
for the perfecting of the saints, the maturing, supplementing, complementing the saints for the work of the ministry of the Lord. So again, the office bearers, i.e. the pastors and elders and deacons, prepare other office bearers. Huh? What do you mean by that? Yes, the office of believer. You're, you're in an office. Did you know that? You may not be ordained. Maybe hands were laid on you or you, were, uh, you made a confession of Christ and prayed over. But yes, you have an office as well. And so the, the benefit here is for the work or service of Christ's church. The diaconia, which is the word for deacon, by the way, which means originally waiting on tables, like a waiter. Ever seen a good waiter before? Kind of hard to come by. I mean, uh, especially nowadays. But once in a while you get a good one who just seems to be right on his game, you know, and uh, really taking care of you and making it a wonderful ambience and experience. Well, that's the same way in the church. It's the same way in the church. Yes, we're waiting on the Lord, but also on each other. We're, we're volunteers. You ever heard of volunteerism? That was something that was really pushed during World War II um, and other times. In other words, to become a humble servant of the Lord and serve the Lord by serving others. Like our Lord said in uh, John when he said, that when it was said that his love was with him to the end, he began to wash their feet I had experience of people washing my feet. It's very uncomfortable, by the way, when someone's washing your feet, especially a stranger. But I had that experience in a, in a home that we visited one time for a Bible study. And, uh, and there's something very special about it. Not only are your feet clean, because, you know, that was the practice in those times in, in that part of the world to wash uh, one another's feet or guests so that they could be with clean feet when they enter the house and not bring the the dirt into the house, okay? So there's that a- aspect, but, but also it's a ministry. It's showing love. And this is how they would show their love to each other and to Christ, who loved them by first washing their feet. So this is what is what this is all about, for the work of service. I remember in Seaside, where I was from before I became a Christian, just before I left to go here and where I came to know Christ. I did volunteer work in this place called Gateway with the mentally retarded. And I also did tutoring for children and elderly in the community. And uh, that was a memorable experience. And I wasn't a Christian, and since then I've come back to, to visit these, some of these folks that are still there. And uh, what a wonderful opportunity uh, that was for the gospel. It's not easy to serve others. Did you know that sheep bite? Did you know that? Uh, The same one who wrote A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, William Keller, wrote another book, Taming Tension. (laughs) That's the difficulty factor of being in the ministry. In, In whatever office or aspect of ministry that we may be talking about. And what I've learned back then And what I've continued to learn since is that you have to come out of your comfort zone. There's no way around that. You have to come out of your comfort zone. What can I say? Um, 
Helping others is giving of yourself. And uh, what helps is when you have a scripture like Matthew 10, 7, and 8. This is our Lord's words to his disciples before he sent them out. Actually, there were 70 of them at this point, quite a, quite a lot more than his 12. Um, actually, I believe this is still his 12. Sorry, the 70 would come shortly after. Anyway, in Matthew 10, 7 and 8, it says, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Notice the last phrase, freely you have received, freely give. And that is with no charge. That is for free, because your reward is not with men anyway. And so that is what is helpful to buoy your spirits up, remembering what Christ has done for you. And then last purpose, or last part of the purpose, according to Ephesians 4.12. So turn back to it. Is for the edifying of the body of Christ. And edify is a word that means to build up. An edifice is a building. And so when you edify, you're using what God has given to you to build someone else up. Just like somebody helped you and built you up in your faith and helped you to become strong in the, stronger in the Lord, so you in turn will do that for others. Christ has gifted his office bearers, which now includes all believers, right, in order to build up all believers, the whole church. Notice verse 16. From whom the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part. There's no member that is excluded. There's no dispensable member like an appendix member, you know, uh, or a, what are these? Tonsil members, okay? Uh, the Lord, I don't think the Lord actually made those things to be removed, okay, myself, to be honest with you. I think it really had to have a, a, a drastic turn for the worst to operate, but anyway, everyone counts, and everyone is important. And you know what's the most important? The least one. As you take care of the least one, the weakest, as it were, you're taking care of the whole. You're making the whole stronger. And it's a wonderful thing to see when that happens in, every, in any church. And so it says that this maketh increase of the body unto edifying of itself in love. And when it's like that, it is, talk about self-governing and self-propagating and self-supporting. It's self-growing. It's amazing. It's not really self-growing, but you know what I mean. It's the Lord's hand and spirit and word raising up his body and making it become more like Jesus, his head. And all members, again, are called upon to do this. We all have gifts, but are we using them? That's the question. If we don't use them for Christ, and for one another, or by serving one another, what are we using them for? Sure, you may benefit from your gifts, 
your family may be blessed because of your gifts. But what about the church? So this is something to read really soberly and prayerfully think about. However, when we do, and we become mature believers, guess what? The church as a whole also becomes mature. And something wonderful happens, found in verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith unto and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We become whole. We become one. We become like the church in heaven that's complete, only a tear on earth. And we show God such a testimony of our desire and our love and our passion and our commitment to his church to want to exceed on earth so that when we enter heaven, there's less of, uh, in our making that transition uh, into that next level, less of a jump, as it were, and more smooth and continuous and like this, instead of like this. Got it? So that's the goal. That's the goal. And that's it. And let's pray. But let me say this about what I'm going to pray first. Um, and I'll do it by turning to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 and pray on the basis of Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, okay? Um, sorry I didn't say this first, but anyway, turn to this last scripture. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And look at this as a prayer. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So let me pray in closing. Father, we come to you, for it is unto you that all this has been said and all this has been laid before us upon the table. And Lord, considered. And Lord, with this we ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. So that even the things that are the thoughts of our heart, perhaps things that are not yet solidified in our lives, but they've already been planted such as what has been said this morning and afternoon. Maybe seriously and thoughtfully considered. And Lord, that our desire by asking your spirit to work in us would be applied. And the application would be such that, Lord, it would revitalize us, that it would transform us, that it would conform us not to this world, but to you, to your word, that we might know what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that we might be that living sacrifice, physically, our very bodies, to our very souls, laid before you in humble, thankful gratitude and service and that you would be glorified in your church and that you would be praised 
in the world. So Lord, use me to bring glory to you in your church by teaching and serving and building up others. In Jesus' name, amen.